aka Powders, we're going back to 1984. We're going back to forgotten film trends. Yeah, it's film education time with the film buff Peter A. DeLuca here, coming to you from, unfortunately, a gloomy summer day or a gloomy spring day here in Philadelphia, PA. I so wanted to do this on a Friday because I believe Revenge of the Nerds is a TGIF Friday movie and I wanted to do it while it was sunny, while it was shining and right now it's gloomy and depressing and cold and here's the crazy thing, I'm supposed to do, supposed to have some, some friends over, we're supposed to do a grill out, supposed to hang outside all night listening to tunes, eating food we should not be eating, drinking what we should not be drinking, but it looks like we're most likely going to have it all indoors. So there goes my Friday evening, but aka Patters, welcome to it. Peter A. DeLuca here. Sometimes aka Pad69 on your social favorite social media network, but always known through the multiverse as the eclectic one. Why is Revenge of the... Let's just get into the brass of this. Brat, they always say brass tax. I, I'm not sure what that what that term means. Is, is tax brass? Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Why is Revenge of the Nerds important? Why is it important to film history or cinema history or just culture in general? Well, comedies at one time weren't targeted. You had Elvis in comedies. You had the Marx Brothers, Sid Caesar, Charlie Chaplin, and comedies were universal. Comedies were meant to appeal to every living person ever. And then something happened. That movie was Animal House. A very specific target. We want drunk men. We want boys. We want frat boys. We want people who want to look at boobies. We want people who like drinking. We want Animal House. And Animal House, National Lampoon, based on a true story, by the way, set the stage. And then shortly after that, the other impactful masterpiece was called Porky's, 1981. Porky's really, I think, cost about $5 million, made about $160 million. How about that for a rate of return? Porky's took it one step further. The humor, the characters, everything was a little bit less. Just wasn't there. The performances, the jokes, but it was gross out teenage frat boy humor. But what Porky's changed is it showed Bush and the world went nuts. So now we have a theme. We have a trend. We have something for producers to hold on to and say, can we emulate this? So through the independent ranks, through the bigger ranks, just throughout Hollywood. No different than everyone jumping on slasher movies, for example, for horror. We get to Revenge of the Nerds. And there's movies like Meatballs and Summer Camp. And, and some of you know some of these years may not be lined up perfectly. But Revenge of the Nerds is is impactful because, well, it's good. It introduced us to some of the best comedic talent of the 80s. It introduced us to some of the best comedic actors of the 80s. Like, true comedic actors. Character, uh, individuals with range. 
leading men that should have been more than leading men, but uh, what happens with this genre is you get typecast, and it's tough, but that's also your goal as an actor, and it's it's a unintended consequence, as they call it. We have guys like Robert Cardine, who's our head nerd. Lewis. We have Anthony Edwards, who was not in the sequel because he was shooting Top Gun as Gilbert. We have Ted McGinley, I believe, I, I would have to research this, Ted McGinley, uh, Married with Children, he's our fat boy. But then we have Curtis Armstrong, who plays Booger. If you've seen him, you'll know, if you've seen a lot of 80 movies, you've seen him around and around. Donald Gibb as Fred, the ogre. He's known as Ogre. He's one of the only carryover characters outside the nerds in the sequel. Larry B. Scott, who's at this point, you would say, transgender non-binary. I'm not sure how he would identify as Lamar. And growing up, Lamar was my favorite. How about that? Now, the sequel made me a favorite of of, uh, Dudley Booger. But... Yeah, you know, we have like a comedy with stereotypes, and we have a comedy with um, things that would be offensive today. But it also, this is why this movie's so perfect. But the impact on culture wasn't that this was good enough to make good money. It's that it really introduced the world to the idea of the nerd, and the nerd really would take everything over. Everything we do now, I'm talking to you. You're able to hear me. Uh, I'm doing my own podcast, not from a major radio tower, not from a major network, not from a local network. I'm doing this at my home studio, talking to you. The nerds took over, and we're all better for it. And then what slowly happened was you think every generation we would get a new Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, I think today would be perfect, but... PC culture, uh, social justice warriors, uh, the idea of not to be offensive really infected and destroyed the American comedy. But we're here to acknowledge the times where comedies could be crazy and they could swing for the fences and they could be, and within their right, be offensive. And people are just like uh, like all over the place with uh, if being offensive is a good thing, is it a bad thing, uh, what about this, what about that. There's people, uh, you know, like if stuff's not good, no one watches it, so, right? Like we, people are all over the place. And as, as a side note, because we will be discussing this, we have Quasi available right now on Hulu from Broken Lizards. Watch Quasi, subscribe to Hulu. Just get this movie because Quasi is it's 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 a comedy at a time and and technically it's a it's a hunchback from Notre Dame period piece disguised as a offensive mess, which is perfect. But movies like Quasi really aren't made anymore, and Quasi should be honored. Quasi should be watched. Quasi uh, the the Broken Lizards gang should be rewarded for Quasi hell. Hulu should be rewarded for for featuring Quasi. But Revenge of the Nerds, this movie, 1984, it it would spin into, we have four other movies. We do have an architect, and outside of maybe like Jay Roach and Michael Myers for 
Austin Powers or Todd Phillips for Hangover. We have an architect, and his name is John Bahi. John Bahai. I hate last names. Or Jeff, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jeff, if you're listening. <laughs> Jeff Bahi, Bahai. Uh, yeah, he's he's producer, writer, story behind all four of these Revenge of the Nerd movies. And it really makes me curious for three and four because I've never seen them. I, I think, um, I know one of them is Nerd, uh, the, the Next Generation. Right, I'm trying to dig up the, uh, the names of the other movies. Not that it matters. Oh, here we go. Revenge of the Nerds in Paradise, 1987. Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation, 1992. Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love. Oh my god, I love that title. 1994. This movie's been targeted for remakes and all of it. And you kind of would think that every generation would have a, a Revenge of the Nerds to hold on to. So, what happened after this is almost like the raunchy teenage comedy went away. It went away until... American Pie, and There's Something About Mary. And those two movies alone, American Pie, I believe, was 1999. Those movies brought brought it back. And that we know American Pie leads to Superbad, and so on and so forth. It's, it's impactful. It's significant for a reason. The plot of this movie, it's, look, the nerds have to bang together to ward off the evil frat. And they have to beat the institution that's corrupt in some type of contest. Same as Animal House. But the differences are our head nerd here, Lewis. Well, he bangs the jock's girlfriend disguised in the Carnival Funhouse. She thinks it's the boyfriend. He bangs her. He bangs his girl so well. That she, she transforms. She becomes a nerd's girlfriend by the end of this movie. This is a plot point that carries over into to the 1987 Nerds in Paradise. Revenge of the Nerds 2. And it, I would have to double check by rewatching it. And I do prefer Nerds in Paradise even more. But Nerds in Paradise. I'm pretty sure Lewis is true to his girlfriend. That is off screen. Only as a picture in the beginning of the movie. He's true to her through the end of the uh, end of the movie, and along the way, he gets baited, he gets uh, t- tempted, and he stays true, which is exactly what we would expect a nerd to do. But no, this movie—it's a ton of fun. AKA Powders, go check it out. It's summer if you want a summer fun movie. Revenge of the Nerds is one of the few summer comedies that actually gets your blood pumping. It's fun. It's silly. It's ridiculous. The, per, uh, the portrayal of Lewis by Robert Car- Carradine d- deserves nothing but accolades because you watch this movie, it's impossible to imagine Robert Carradine of not getting typecast, which I believe he did post this movie. He is solid. He plays the perfect nerd. He is a perfect nerd, but he's also a beautiful young man. But you watch this and you don't see it. And it's amazing. It's acting at its finest. AKA pad here. Go, you gotta check this movie. I believe I caught it on Amazon Prime. We will be doing Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. But next up will be somewhat of the final of our Shazam movies or Shazam content. We'll be doing 
a 10-minute Shazam short animated film from a DVD called DC Showcase. And that DVD is nothing but significant. We'll talk a little bit more about it. And then along the way, we will do Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Then we're going to jump on to Black Adam. And yes, a separate episode for Black Adam end credits. So all that's going to be around 450 or, or 550, excuse me. I keep wanting to say 450. All right, AKA Powers, I love you guys. Happy weekend. TGIF, rocking and rolling.